Hello and welcome to The Home Experience, a podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows currently available in the home market. I'm Adam Barnard. And I'm Jackson Smith. And today we're going to talk about the sci-fi epic Ready Player One. So before we begin, I just want to say that this property, you know, this book, this movie, these characters are very near and dear to my heart um, in a way that I feel like Indiana Jones or other great adventure epics were very near and dear to previous generations. You know, movies that were out in theaters or adventures that were published um, when someone was still in their formative years. Um, so this is going to be a very personal discussion in a way because I, I connected with this and a lot of other people didn't, which was interesting. Well, enough people did for them to make it into a movie, clearly. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, but, you know, online culture doesn't like to let people enjoy things. So <laughs> anything, <I've>... <laughs> literally anything. You can't enjoy anything. You had fun up yours. You're not supposed to. How dare you? Yeah. So I'll just give a bit of background because we had, we, you and I have had different experiences with this uh, specific story. Um, I picked up the book a couple years ago, Ready Player One. Um, I think it was 2016. I was home from college for a little while and I can't remember why. I think it was recommended to me by my old roommate uh, from, from Chapman and I didn't have much expectations. I just heard they might be making a movie. I think Spielberg was attached at the time. So I was like, okay, like, let me get ahead of the curve and read a book way before it becomes a movie. Yeah. And I tore through it in a couple days. And it was just this transcendent experience where it was me and my bedroom and my surroundings didn't matter. It was like I was transported into a virtual reality simply through text on a page. And like that experience for me is so rare as a reader, and I, I know that's sad to say because some people are very avid readers and have that visual Im- imagination. For me, it takes a, a really transcendent property to bring me to that place, you know, to where like when I hear I don't want anyone to walk in the room. I just want to like exist in this little bubble and and feel like I'm a part of something different. And so that was that was my experience with uh, the book. And then I watched the movie a couple years later. But I want to hear uh, how you saw the movie and read the book in a different order as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you sent you sent the book to me very soon after <laughs> yeah. after reading. You're like Jackson, you have to read this, and I'm I'm a weird reader. Like I I do I I recognize, and I say this in the in the least pretentious way possible, but I do read a lot more than most other people my age. Yeah. Like most people our age really don't read that much, and comparatively speaking, I read a lot. But also comparatively speaking, it's very hard for me to read. <laughs> like I, I, I'm not the kind of person who like reads before I go to bed or reads whenever I have spare time. Like I do most of my reading when I'm on flights. That's yeah. like a thing for me is like I travel a lot. So whenever I'm on a flight, I'll always like buy a book for the flight, you know. From the Nicholas Sparks stand, right? The, no, the... from more from the Agatha Christie stand. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm I'm super big into mysteries, but um but you had recommended this book to me and you had given me this book. Um but I had made a sort of semi-conscious decision to watch the movie first. Yeah. Um almost like I knew we would be having a discussion and I thought it would make it more interesting. <laughs> Well, at first, much to my chagrin that you didn't read the yeah, book first, I yeah. was a very vocal lobbyist for reading the book before you see the movie. But I think it provided you an interesting perspective. It did. And it's also it, this was a little bit exceptional. Most of the time, I really don't like doing that. Like I did that with um, I did that with Gone Girl. I, I, I read the book after I saw the movie and I was like. I kind of wish I had flipped that order. I mean, I love both of them very deeply, but just the way I experienced that story, it would have been fun to sort of discover it as a book first and then go see the movie and yeah. sort of rediscover it in a way. So so I had I had regretted that decision. So I was like, oh, well, maybe I should read the book first. But but Ready Player One is, a, like you said, it's an interesting property because everybody has got an opinion on it. You know, like it came out, I think, in 2011 it was a big hit when it came out. Everybody really liked it. And then Gamergate happened. And for those of you who don't know what Gamergate was, it was this huge online war between, well, it wasn't really between anyone. Basically, this this very small, nasty, vocal subset of video game culture started, you know, bullying and harassing 
I think it was female gaming critics because they they didn't think they were like well versed enough in gaming culture and they were like it was all this like toxic gatekeeping culture is is the term yeah. that got thrown around where it was like oh well you're not a real fan of something if you don't know x y and z about it um and what happened then after that was a lot of people turned on ready player one because as we'll talk about the the story focuses very much on on video game trivia as a form of currency <laughs> which is which is like that's not so much a thing state- yeah i mean it's like for for those of for those who have like really read the book or seen the movie, it's like, that's not so much a, that's not so much a thing. I I feel like that's more an element of that world as opposed to like a thing that the writer is like saying, like, you need to know what you need to know how to play joust perfectly to like live properly in this world. Like, that's not what the book is about, but, but there, you know, like a lot of people turned against it. You know, there was a lot of controversy around the book and then the movie came out and everybody immediately was like, oh, wow, that's a totally different ball game." So so I made the decision to read the book afterwards just because I I wanted to I, I, I don't know. I was curious. I wanted to see sort of what I, I wanted to experience the movie as this pure thing because I was going to be the only one who was going to experience the movie as this pure thing and then go back to the source material later. And. I I mean, obviously, I mean, like I didn't have quite the transcendent experience that you had sure. <laughs> um, and and we'll get into some of those reasons later on in the in the podcast. But I did really like the book um, and I do think the movie is a very I think it's a successful slash very interesting adaptation of that that piece of literature specifically. Um, and I'm actually kind of glad I experienced it in the way I did, because I, I think it's, it's it's offered me an interesting a semi-interesting perspective on the material. It feels like receiving this book is how Moses would have felt receiving the Ten Commandments, except this is for movie fandom. Like, this is the movie <laughs> fandom's version of the Ten Commandments. Like, you come down from the mountain, you get this text from God. Um, well, video game fans. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, like, But the thing is, most of the nerd culture, like, 80% of it in the book comes from film and TV. You know what I'm saying? Like what they talk about with Star Wars or Indiana Jones or Back to the Future, yeah, you know, him driving yeah. the DeLorean. I didn't – maybe that's just because I'm so impervious and kind of out of the loop with video games. So I just don't remember that part of Ready Player One, the book. Um, yeah, the book references all of these video games like Dungeons and & Dragons and Joust and – and they and they play very big roles in the plot. So it's like when he's talking about these games, I, I I I got the feeling that this like this was the kind of book that was meant to be enjoyed by someone, you know, who grew up in the golden age of video games, grew up in the 80s and played all these games on their old Atari systems. And that's just not me. So it was like I enjoyed the book kind of from a distance. Sure. Um, but but it, it it does sort of immerse itself in 80s pop culture and and you know, Spielberg movies. <laughs> I, you know, funny enough that he ended up directing it, but like all, it runs the gambit of stuff that it references. Yeah. And the, what's interesting is like Ernest Klein, who's the author, I never get a sense that he's pandering, which is interesting because it's very easy to pander to this kind of entitled community of, of geek fandom. But for me, my experience with the book is it's so honest. You know what I'm saying? Like there's such a sincerity to some of the characters and some of the stories and, and, and even the, you know, using other people's creative work as like the uh, the cornerstone, the foundation of your story. It could come off as really crappy fan fiction that's just been buried in some ether of the Internet that no one really wants to visit. But somehow he made both the book and the screenplay, which he co-wrote, I believe, coherent and well presented for the medium's that he wrote for, you know, and, and that's kind of something that amazed me because part of the critique was like, oh, the movie's just going to feel like fan fiction or oh, the book is too lofty in its goal. And I really think it somehow found a way to be grounded and resonant despite just being a total nerd fest. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about how this movie adapted this book specifically, but uh, in the meantime, check out the trailer. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here, sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go, nowhere, except the Oasis. 
A whole virtual universe. Who is this Parzival, and how the hell is he winning? Find him. This is an interesting game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war for control of the future. Are you willing to fight? Help us save the Oasis. Ready Player One is directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Zach Penn and Ernest Klein. It's available to rent or purchase on most platforms. So this story is set, I think, something like 20, 30 years in the future. And basically, by this point in history, something called The Oasis, which is an online video game platform a la World of Warcraft, has basically consumed everybody's lives. The world has gotten really crappy and everybody just basically spends their time in this virtual reality. They've all got virtual reality goggles and virtual reality gloves, and you can do pretty much anything you want in the Oasis. Um, like you can play sports, you can go on vacation, but what a lot of people go in the Oasis to do is solve this Easter egg challenge brought about by the game's creator, um, who is James Halliday. James Halliday. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot his name. <laughs> they say it like a hundred times during the movie. No, so James Halliday, played by Mark Rylance, who was in Spielberg's other movies, Bridge of Spies, the BFG. Uh, he plays this sort of neurotic Steve Jobs type, you know, nerd god basically who created this who created this video game and right before he died he created this challenge where you were supposed to there are three different keys hidden somewhere in the oasis in the full video game and if you could find all of these keys you would get an easter egg and if you got the easter egg you basically get the you basically get the rights to the oasis you basically get you know, the whole company. And it, it's it starts off as kind of like a fun challenge for everyone. But because the Oasis is just the biggest thing on the planet, it's it's a lot more political. Like they've got a like a, a competing corporation, IOI, that's like sending a bunch of people into the video game for the express purpose of finding the Easter finding the Easter egg. And then you've got you've got this guy his name is Parzival in the game, and um, he and his friends basically set out in search of the Easter egg, and the rest is history. <laughs> so. That was a really, really well-framed summary that I know you didn't have a script for. If so you only somehow... I could have remembered anybody's names. <laughs> <laughs> if only if I could have remembered anybody's names. So anyway, so so that's that's the movie. That's that's what it's about. Adam, what did you think of the movie? The movie Ready Player. The movie Ready Player One, I did not love upon first viewing. I actually kind of texted you a semi-rant and said <laughs> they missed the point. I think it was good. I don't know. I feel disoriented. Like, it, 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 something feels off. And I was very frustrated at a few specific elements in the story, which I'm sure we'll discuss, which to this oh, day yeah. I still believe are flaws. It's just the first time they really threw me for a loop, and subsequent viewings I, I kind of became numb to them you know i just accepted them that they kind of some of these story elements or plot dynamics had to happen for the sake of condensing this into two hours and 20 minutes which is already a pretty bloated runtime yeah that's to long, be honest yeah. um and it, it kind of still has a nice uh, brisk pace so you're not like i don't ever feel like i'm watching a transformers movie even when it does sag like towards you know right before the third act um I grew to love it upon subsequent rewatches because I realized it captured the magic, but formatted for the big screen. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, I did not at all get the same feeling watching the movie than I did reading the book. Yet somehow I think the movie is a brilliant adaptation of the book. I don't know how to describe such a paradox like that. I mean, to me, it's like I almost 
view them as different chapters because such radically different things happened in the book and the movie, how Parzival and Artemis met, how their relationship developed, which in the movie I thought it was very inorganic and forced and a little creepy um, in the first half, whereas in the book it felt more honest. It's like, I think in the book... Um, like that feeling of meeting the girl and and then having her being out of your league, but then realizing that you're so similar that you might actually get along with her. It's like this, and you're two teenagers like falling in love for the first time. That dynamic in the book was was so relatable for me um, and fun for me to live vicariously through. In the movie, um, he falls in love and he becomes very overbearing towards her. And, and, and it's not an organic falling in love that... Because in the book, I rooted for Parzival. I rooted for them as a couple. In the movie, I didn't want to root for them as a couple because he was so obnoxious and overbearing. Yeah, that's that's kind of my yeah. intro monologue, at least. <laughs> well, yeah, for those of you who don't know, Artemis, um, she's played by Olivia Cook in the movie. She's, she's Parzival's love interest. She's another... She's another gamer who's searching for the for the Easter egg. She's got much more personally motivated reasons than yeah. than Parzival does. But yes, obviously they fall in love because why wouldn't they? <laughs> but but to answer but, your question about or to respond to the part about there being a corporation and kind of a a um a business angle, you know, it's not just fun and games. It's not a cool challenge. It's like it's the a Oasis, war. yeah. Yeah. It, the, uh, Nolan Sorrento, who's played by Ben Mendelsohn, says it's nothing less than a war for the future of humanity. And the thing is, I agree with him. Now, I, I know it's not good to say that you agree with what's traditionally framed as like the villains, but I, I actually understand where they're coming from. And I think it's realistic. And I don't think inherently what they're trying to do is wrong. The problem is IOI is corrupt to the core and Nolan Sorrento is corrupt to the core and they kill people to get what they want. You know, it's not like, oh, a company uh, has a vision to, for Oasis. It's not something where I don't see anything inherently being wrong. I just see the way they handle it being wrong. And, and you kind of – it develops into this very dystopian, almost borderline young adult dynamic as the story goes on of, of these kids who are kind of up against the cold, hard capitalist world that's crushing down on, on their hopes yeah. and futures and people are living on the streets. And, and there's this polarity between the beauty and the visual dynamism and the possibility of the oasis and just the drab, desaturated, concrete, monolithic structures that is modern-day Columbus, Ohio. Um, which I found was interesting and not always present in the book. I felt like the contrast was more clear in the movie because, again, it's a visual format. It's just a picture is worth a thousand words, so I don't need pages of exposition on Columbus. I just see a few frames of how Spielberg designed, you know, the the live action components, and you're like, oh, I get I get the dynamic of this this kind of all too close to reality future. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of that is because the book is first person and. Um, it's all from Wade's perspective in the sure. book. So, so a lot of the corporation dynamics you're seeing, you, you're, you understand are happening off screen. Whereas in the, in the movie, they're happening on screen. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit because sure. I, I, your experience sounds very, very, your experience with this movie sounds very, very similar to my experience when I saw Annihilation earlier this year. Like I like, yeah, like Annihilation was that book for me. Like I, like I, I think, I think the same friend actually recommended Annihilation to me who recommended, uh, who recommended Ready Player One to you. But, um, you know, I bought it, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. That was sure. brilliant. That's going to make such an excellent movie. And then I saw the cast and I was like, oh my gosh, Natalie Portman's in it. The guy from Ex Machina is doing it. And then I saw the movie and it was like totally different. They changed literally everything from the book, except like the basic setting and, and the skeleton of the characters, like literally everything else that happens in the movie is different. So the first time I saw it, there was just this whiplash where I was like, Oh, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be feeling about this. I understand that it's good, I think, but I don't know because I can't <laughs> yeah. separate. I can't exactly. Sep yeah, so it's like that's the problem. That's what that's my problem when I read the book first. A lot of times is it, it always ruins the movie going experience for me, and I, I always treasure the movie going experience so much, which is maybe why I swapped it for Ready Player One. But anyway, what happened is on subsequent viewings, I ended up really growing to love Annihilation, and it's probably one of my favorite movies of the year but i all of this is to say I, I i know how you feel sure i know how you feel but 
my first time seeing Ready Player One, I really liked it. I, I really liked this movie. I mean, just in a pure enjoyment standpoint, I know I there are a lot of really smart critics who I love and listen to who have told me repeatedly that this movie is shit. Yeah. I, I don't care. I really like it. <laughs> so. Yeah. What happened with this was um, what happened with me and Tintin, which is also a Spielberg film that was kind of a, oh. a barrier breaker in terms of the technology and the motion capture and the, you know, kind of blending digital like video game but also live action elements like just kind of with that aesthetic you know how they yeah. i think the whole movie was kind of like shot like a movie on motion capture stages when it could yeah. have easily just been an animated movie you know so it kind of and the design in 2011 was getting so good that it was hitting the uncanny valley it wasn't fake but it was also wasn't real it was just it's very confusing visually and as someone yeah. who grew up with the comics. I don't want to call them. I don't know if you can call them comics or volumes of Tintin. They're comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, my dad is a Commonwealth background, so he introduced that to me, and like that was my Indiana Jones before I was old enough to watch Indiana Jones. Quite frankly, um, that must have been a disturbing movie. Then <laughs> what? In, what with uh, Tintin or Indiana Jones? Yeah, yeah. Tintin. Well, yeah. When I saw that, it was like. It missed the goddamn point of Tintin, just a galactic <laughs> miss. Now, I still think yeah. Tintin is an okay movie, but everything that I held dear about the books was just like three different volumes were cobbled together to make one movie that was had very little focus on character. The character focus that wasn't there was unrealistic and not true to the characters that were created, and it was largely reliant on technology to tell a story versus good storytelling. And especially when it's someone like Spielberg, you know he's one of the best storytellers, like, around, one of the best visual storytellers around. So when he just spends, you know, throws in these action sequences, it's like he's trying to do, like, demo reels, but he's putting the demo reels in the movie. And he's, he's like, surgically removing the heart of the movie, which is all I really cared about. I didn't care about how good a Tintin movie looked. I cared about how it would make me feel. You know what I'm saying? And, like, how, how it would tap into this extremely rich source material and very unique tone. So yeah. all that to say, I kind of feel the same way about Ready Player One. Um, well, the visual effects definitely got better. But like the visual yeah. effects definitely got better. And that was something I was concerned about when watching the trailer for Ready Player One or the trailers. I just thought, again, like he missed the point of what the visuals could be because what was described in the book, I felt, gave it a different aesthetic. It wasn't one that was so photo real. But I don't know what they did. They nailed it because it, it it still kind of falls in the territory of the uncanny valley but somehow it's like it's like but nothing it's you've ever game. seen before yeah. it's like nothing you've ever seen it's it's the perfect mix between photoreal lighting and also fantastical elements and like part of the reason I go back to watch the movie is just because of all the in-game footage um yeah. i just well that's yeah it's like seeing avatar for the first time it's just like holy shit like, this is crazy. I didn't know movies could... Or, like, seeing Jurassic Park for the first time. It's like, this is nuts. Like, the ante has been upped. I mean, that's the thing. It is it is a video game. Like, in, in the context of the movie, all of the motion capture stuff is just when they're in the Oasis and the rest is live action. So it it is probably naturally the best use of motion capture in a movie just because if there is an Uncanny Valley... So what? It's a video game. The, like there's uncanny valleys in like every video game. So it's like so what 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 was great about doing it all motion capture in the movie was that it 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 added to the realism of it if that makes sense. Like by looking yeah. more surreal it added to the realism of it. And exactly. and to like the visual effects like what we can do with motion capture has just advanced so much since Avatar, you know, like since since they really changed the game. Like People have like blue hair, red hair, and they can like make their avatar like have like alien limbs and stuff. Like it, it, <laughs> it doesn't look like yeah. Um, but you buy it. You you totally you totally buy it. You know, and that and I I don't remember that stuff in the book. How it was described in the book, it seemed like everybody had like semi normal looking avatars. Sure. The other big change, which is worth noting, is the fact that in the book it was primarily. 80s culture like the whole take on yeah the video game of the easter egg was like Halliday grew up in the 80s mm -hmm. and that's he just kept away the oasis like exclusive to the 80s even though that we were 60 years in the future um 
what the difference again the difference is in the holiday in the movie is like just pop culture he's a pop culture nerd he's not an 80s nerd i don't know i mean I don't know if I like that decision. I think that's part of what was lost. I was ready for, like, the most campy 80s throwback, you know? And it was just, like, all of pop culture. And that well, didn't... Uh, it was it was a creative choice that opened some opportunity and closed other doors, you know? So it was a true trade-off in the sense of, like, what it accomplished creatively. Well, here's the thing. In, in, the, in, the, in the novel and in the movie, The Oasis is an open space for anybody to explore whatever. So it is all kinds of pop culture. But Halliday's, specifically all Halliday's contests, like Halliday's challenge to, to find the keys and get the egg in, in both circumstances is very 80s focused. But I think what the movie did, which the book didn't really go out of its way to do, was include more references to more modern video games. Sure. See, like in the in the in the book, like you have Halo. The, you have like all, Master Chief. Yeah, like you've got you have like the Master Chief from Halo. You've got a bunch of Overwatch characters. Like, like what I really like, and that, and I really actually really liked this about the movie because I think like when we think of video game culture, you know, it isn't just it isn't just people who you know played Atari in the eighties. It's you know. 12 year olds who play call of duty zombies now. So I like, that the, <laughs> I, I like, that the, the, yeah, like the, well, yeah, really, but I like that the movie had a much more, it had a much more holistic view of what video game culture is and what it would look like if a space like the Oasis did really exist. Like, yeah, you had people like all of, all of the people searching, like all of the people in Parzival's clan, they're all searching for holidays, Easter egg, and all of their stuff is all very, you know, eighties oriented. Like, like he dresses up like Buckaroo Bonsai to a party. You know, they do like Saturday night fever when they're at the party. <laughs> oh my God. Like, he I does love like, that he so does much. like the say anything. Yeah, Joan yeah. Cusack thing with the boot, with the boom box at one point. But in the background, you've got like serenity from firefly. You've got like the iron giant. Like you've got like all of these other, all of these other references to all of these different areas of pop culture and for me it, it it added to the realism of the movie and i i really liked that yeah certainly when when the serenity flew into frame i i had this moment where i was like no that what i like, know right ah! seriously that's so and then it immediately turned into holy shit that's so cool um everybody had everybody had a moment like that. i feel like that like with this movie like at least everybody at least had one moment where they went like oh, i know what that is but, you know, like a good movie has that in the background, but it is all it is also first and foremost a good story. And and I did think I did think both the book and the movie had a good story. Um, but what what the movie liked about its own story that I I kind of missed from the book was it really dug deep into Halliday. It really dug deep into his character and sort of, you know, why he created the Oasis and why it is the way it is. And, and, and what it, what I liked about it too, is it centered the challenges more around digging deep into his personal psyche as opposed sure. to just digging deep into the things that he liked. Like in, like in the book, all of the challenges are all they It all basically comes down to playing the video games that Halliday liked perfectly. Like, it's like, he's got to play a perfect game of Pac-Man. He's got to play a perfect game of Joust. He's got to go yeah. through war games and recite the whole movie perfectly. Whereas like in the movie, the, the challenges involve the character's critical thinking a little bit more. And they specifically, they, they involve critical thinking in relationship to his life. Like what he's doing through the challenges, he's basically deconstructing his own myth. Like everybody sure. starts the movie as like, Oh, Halliday was like this, amazing you know god basically and by the end of the movie they see him more as a human being and they're able to sort of handle the oasis differently and hopefully better than he ever would have been able to so i really like that element of it personally but I, i'm curious to hear what your perspective on that is yeah i mean they anchored it in emotion instead of heritage or like cultural heritage you know what i'm saying it's like yeah, yeah it was all about culture in the book and in the movie it's all about Halliday, but not just Halliday as like a person or his business pursuits. It was about Halliday's relationships yeah. with a girl he loved who his business partner ended up marrying. 
um, marrying, and that was Kira, or is the gamer tag, and she married Ogden Morrow, who is played by Simon Pegg, and 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 that's factored into the second level, I think. I guess that pretty much the yeah. the, the the one with the shining, which was. So oh cool. yeah, there's a huge sequence <laughs> in the movie where they have to they 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 take I guess what was the reenactment thing of the book yeah and, and and imagine it cinematically and what that is is basically like recreating the entirety of The Shining and it's it is again visually very impressive and a lot of fun to watch so. yeah yeah totally um so and that was uh, that was actually a diversion for what um, the second challenge actually is which is. Uh, about um, the night that Halliday didn't ask the girl to go to go dancing when she wanted to go dancing, and yeah. that's like when he lost his opportunity. And so, like the whole theme around it was like take the leap. And the, you're basically these characters are learning lessons. Like Parzival learns in his own life to take the leap, you know, because Halliday is still serving as this like mentor from the grave. It's hey, he's like Henry in the Book of Henry. Um, <laughs> I, cut that out. You should cut that out. <laughs> oh no, I'm keeping that in. Gosh, damn it. All right. But you, you see what I'm saying? Like like I do, yeah. The part that broke my heart for me, uh I don't know when I say broke my heart, it just made me feel something very deeply, and I know this was Spielberg's hand in it. Um, was when, when Parswell was talking to Ogden Morrow and he said he said, Kira wasn't the rosebud of the story. He said you were the rosebud of the story. Like Halliday couldn't stand to lose his friend like he lost the girl. And that was like, oh, it hurts so good. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, and it was played so true. You know, like love triangles are messy, and and people who are geniuses to the level that Halliday are are messy, and they don't know how to interact with people. But it doesn't mean they don't feel the same depth of emotion of love and friendship and betrayal and hurt and fear, even if you know their creations have made them a billionaire and have defined a generation. And so, yeah, it was it was a shockingly sharp insight into like a character study for for people in these kinds of situations, all on a, a sci fi canvas or futuristic. Yeah sci-fi canvas well what i liked about all of that all of what you just said just personally was because i felt like it was all kind of a microcosm for how we approach video games like 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 (laughs) halliday is kind of the classic video game nerd like he's he's got like crazy hair he has trouble interacting (laughs) with people but he's like an amazing programmer and he's like a visionary and he can play every video game personally but perfectly but that doesn't make that doesn't mean that he he's a functional human being and i feel like i i feel like our lead characters are kind of they they kind of represent a new era of video gaming where everybody gets everybody gets together goes online and plays with their friends and it's a much more like interactive experience and it's an experience that involves like for instance like personally like what what, why why i responded to this personally is because my favorite game is mario kart and I don't know, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but playing Mario Kart by yourself is just not fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I'm like I'm playing against the computer. Whereas if you're playing with your friends, you know, you can team up, you can play against each other. You know, it just enriches the experience a lot more. And the moral of the movie and kind of the book as well. But the moral of the movie to me was like video games are so much of more of an enriching experience when you can experience it as a collective, when you can experience it with your friends as a group, you know, I think that like the best experiences we've all had with video games are those experiences. Um, and I think that was just something very true. And I thought the movie through, through examining Halliday's life had a very interesting way of expressing that singular idea. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, again, I think that's a prerogative of Steven Spielberg because that wasn't really in the book, I think. Like, the movie, yeah, maybe kind of there's some subtext, but the movie drives home the lesson, quote, that the only thing that's real is reality. You know, it's like reality is the only thing that's real. And it was, and, and, and that's kind of like the voiceover they end the movie with. Be, um, I'll just jump ahead to the end. It's like where, where Parzival and his quote clan inherits the oasis and they decide to shut it off for two days of the week because they say like it's great that we have so much connectivity and interaction but like you can't shut yourself off from the real world like there's a lesson in balance and because that's human what Halliday, connection Halliday yeah, shot yeah. shut himself off from the real yeah i that was that was probably the most disappointing aspect of the book for me because i i was waiting for that to be something that pops up at the end, the whole like, oh, we're going to give people two days a week to sort of 
make the world better specifically because that's sure. the whole problem in this world is that nobody's making the world better because everybody just wants to live They're playing Jesus. Fortnite, yeah. you know, and, and that was and that was just not the case in the book. The book was just entirely about him getting the egg and getting the girl. And it was like it was a satisfying journey, but I didn't feel like it achieved a greater point, I guess, like the movie did. I mean, it specifically didn't achieve it didn't get to that point. I mean, clearly that wasn't a point it was trying to get at, but I really liked that point. I was a little disappointed when it, at the end of the day, it really just was just about him reciting Monty Python and the Holy Grail correctly. <laughs> but, but I don't know that, that might've just been because I read it out of order. I don't know. It's a different format. Like in the movie, you know, when you get to the last 10 minutes, you're expecting it to thematically and emotionally kind of tie itself up with a bow or give you some kind of ending. You know what I'm saying? Um, for a book, it's kind of like, again, it's a more immersive experience inherently. Um, you know, the author's able to craft more detail. It's not the production designers and the artist and everybody else. It's just the author doing everything in a book. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a much less collaborative of a medium. So like, I think that format lends itself to just thoroughly immersing yourself in the author's imagination. And, and yeah, Ernest Klein isn't like a person who revolves around theme, in my opinion. He revolves around story and story innovation. Like he co-wrote Fanboys, which, oh my God, I love. I really want to convince you to do a podcast on it because I think it's just, <laughs> it's so underrated. Um, but he has a certain... I keep meaning to watch it, yeah. <laughs> he's a certain brand of fan culture geek stories that aren't trash. That's the best way. And a lot of people disagree with me, but that's that's my opinion. So I was going to say, like, I think he really understands why these things are special, you know, like that, like like specifically in the book. I think, you know, he he understands the the appeal, like like there is a specific instance where like Parzival just gets lost playing Pac-Man for hours. And it's like that's just such a accurate that's exactly what happens when you play Pac-Man is you do get lost in it for hours. You know, I, like, I think I, yeah, I think what, 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 what the book was really good at that the movie did struggle a little bit with in some places was really crafting an atmosphere and a mood. Like, like the movie just rushes through, it's got a lot of ground to cover. So it rushes through a lot, but you don't, yeah, you don't get to experience the, the, any real development with Parzival and Artemis's relationship. It just kind of happens for necessity in the yeah, movie, yeah, know. you know, like, and that's true of how we experience the world too. Like, I feel like the, the amount of detail he goes into about, about, about how this dystopia works and about how, how it's being experienced by everybody in the novel. That was one of my favorite parts. Like sure, I, yeah, ironically, yeah. one of my favorite parts of the book was, him talking about the real world. Like there's this extended sequence in the book where he has to like infiltrate IOI and he like yes. gets arrested. And, I was going to bring that up. Of, yeah. Like all of that detail in the book was just like, it was so vivid and it was so well written. It became and, you know, a thriller, like, you know, it's like it's an espionage become, undercover thriller for a couple chapters. Yeah. And it's so like, and it's like, exactly. And it's like with the movie, it was like the world is like, you can tell the world is kind of trash, but you don't really get a sense of how bad it is if that sure. makes sense yeah you know? I mean, I, yeah yeah it's 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 very tame and monochromatic and like we're only seeing one city but it, it was a weird design and it was it was i would have yeah i don't know maybe i would have liked to see more maybe it would have been better to see less you know i just know something was off balance with kind of the real world it was well it was i i mean it's like i really think it was like a, it was beautifully designed but it, that movie does not like you're right, it's it's two and a half hours, and it does not feel like that because they have to pack a lot into that two and a half hours. So so it's like you're never you're never really given time to like take in anything. It's 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 all just fun, 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 which is great. I really enjoyed it, but but the book, like, there's just so many little details in the book that just m- made the atmosphere feel so rich like another really small thing that i'm actually kind of glad they didn't put in the movie because it would have been super weird but like there's a section in the book where he's got to like isolate himself to like search for the egg so he shaves off all his body hair because it because <laughs> it because that way it won't cause irritation when he's wearing the <laughs> suit and it's like it's one of those things where it's like of course you can't put that in the movie because that would just be like so gross but also like oh my gosh like what a great detail like that's just such a, like i 
Yeah. Yeah, I but it's know. like that's, I don't want a shaving scene in a movie. Like I really it's just a well, see, nightmare. That's what would that's what they would have gotten if they would have gotten Danny Boyle to direct it, but they got Steven Spielberg. Oh my so god. That, Danny that, Boyle yeah, no, ready, no place in Steven Spielberg. Ready Player One Danny Boyle movie would be a sight to behold. That would be <laughs> intense. That'd be intense, man. It's like if you thought this movie was fast paced, wait till you see what he oh does. Yeah, I'm in a panic attack of a movie. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean the, the pace was breakneck. Like it kind of reminds me a bit of The Force Awakens or like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, where it's just like go, 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 straight through to the end. Um one of my other issues, which I think is a good time to bring up now, is the battle at the end where Parzival summons an army and everyone in their halo or or gremlins or whatever. Ninja, what, Ninja yeah, Turtles. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever they're dressed as, it's just this this wave after wave of pop culture avatars that are just charging this fortress. It it, it goes full Tintin. <laughs> it goes full Transformers, <laughs> where it's just like okay, I don't know what's going on and I don't give a damn. Like I and thankfully it's it's pretty it recovers pretty quickly but it's like again i i get that like the people go to see these movies because of the blockbuster action but there's already been plenty of blockbuster action the first hour and a half and what's been missing is some of the heart and some of the truth in the characters and the relationship like i said with artemis and parzival so it's like if you have the 10 minute section here why am i getting a 10 minute action sequence that feels either redundant or superfluous when like the anchors you know, the de- developing the anchors of the story has been neglected. That was, re- and I get frustrated just talking about it because it's like I, I did not, I felt like P- Parzival and Artemis in the book were better developed. And that's shocking that I should even be saying that out loud, knowing, you know, that it's a Steven Spielberg film and a lot of people worked, a lot of talented people worked in the script to get it where it was. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when Parzival tells Artemis at one point in the book, I love you, it's like... It's earned. Yeah, maybe, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like you get it. You It makes sense. When Parzival in the movie tells Artemis, I love you, it's like, it's like, dude, we barely know each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's... Like... so much of the plot's been having to spend on other things. Anyway, I want to talk about the final sequence because I have two very interesting... Not interesting. I My opinions aren't interesting. But two very key opinions about this the first is i i credit where credit is due like steven spielberg is really really good at parallel action and what i really liked about the climax of this movie is i mean basically what happens is nolan sorrento and all of ioa ioi they they find the last challenge and they create this fortress or they they hole up in this fortress around it and that's why parzival sort of recruits everybody in the oasis to go break in for them um but as that's happening Artemis is trying to break out of IOI in the real world. So it's they like basically have... replaced part art, uh, Parzival's story in the book with Artemis in the movie. You know, it's like yeah, someone exactly. infiltrates IOI and sabotages them from the inside. It's just Artemis this time. Exactly. Yeah. But it, but what's great about that sequence is like how smartly Steven Spielberg is able to integrate the action going on in the Oasis with the action going on in the real world. Like that was one of the things that really astonished me when I saw this movie for the first time was just like that, a climax like that with that many levels of action on it is very, very hard to choreograph, especially when they're taking place on two different planes of reality. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, it was a little, it was a little chaotic once we were in the Oasis, but I got to say like it was, it was a real feat, and I'm 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 actually really glad they spent the amount of time in the movie on it that they did because it was just it was a, just a for me personally like at the end of the day it was just a really expansive and satisfying end to the the conflict of the movie. But but I hated the Iron Giant in it. I just like and I know I'm like the fifteen hundredth <laughs> person to see the say this, but like you missed the whole point of the Iron Giant. Like the whole point is he's not a battle robot. Did you see the movie? Anyway, sorry, I had to rant. No, I, I understand. I mean, I have no connection to the Iron Giant. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. I, I guess it's a cool design, so you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like I guess putting like Pooh Bear, or Big Bird in there, and having to be a warrior. It's like what the hell? Like, God, that's weird. Yeah. No, I want to say this. Bouncing off your point, the last twenty minutes are 
<laughs> we we've said the last 20 minutes of a perfect movie it's just the other two hours that isn't perfect but it's like the last 10 minutes is a 10 out of 10 i mean last 20 minutes is like a 10 out of 10 conclusion 20 the, out of 20 20 out of 20 sure <laughs> five out of five four out of four and just how they're like how they're in the back of the van in the you know, they're operating from a moving vehicle while in the Oasis deciding the fate of the world. Like, that's yeah. such an inherently tense pitch. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like someone's crashing into you and if the van flips, it's like uh, IOI gets the Oasis. Like, the stakes are so clearly drawn and are so high in the last 20 minutes. And, you know, the writers and Spielberg knew where to land with every single character to, to hit a true note. So it's like all the conclusion is just part of a much better movie, quite frankly. Well, it's just like, that's kind of the stuff that, like, that's the kind of stuff that you can't really do in a book. Like, especially a first-person book, because you have to center all the action around the first person's perspective. Like I weird example. I remember when I read twilight for the first time and I was like, this climax makes no sense. And then I saw the movie. I was like, Oh, that's what happened. Sure. Cause there's just all this stuff that happens in the climax of that story that you just don't get to see since you're from Bella's perspective. But because it's a movie, you can sort of get to see what, what's going on at different parts of the, in different parts of the area. So, totally. um, yeah, and I also really like, too, how, how – I'll, I'll just say this and, and then we can wrap up. But, like, I, I really like, too, how the movie did take advantage of its third-person perspective. Like, like I like how they gave Artemis a lot more to do over the course of the movie. Like, I, I like how they did give her some – like, they let her – get to some of the challenges first simply out of necessity they let her do a little bit more they let her be the one to infiltrate ioi it's just like i it just it just made the movie feel a lot more realistic to me like it just made it feel like it was like we're all in this together and we've all got to just fight to make sure this giant corporation doesn't get control of the oasis um and and to it it, it sort of plays into that theme of this is a movie about multiplayer video games <laughs> and they are, there are multiplayers, but that's just something that I personally like. Sure. Sure. And uh, um, I, I'm going to echo your sentiment and take it a step further with Artemis, um, more specifically Olivia cook who plays oh, Artemis. Love her. <laughs> you know, this is not like a prestige performance. So there's zero chance it's going to get any kind of recognition anywhere. Mm. I just have to say it's one of the most, beautiful and engaging performances for this kind of character, this kind of movie She's that I've seen. So right, and it's yeah. not so much like the character is brilliantly written. It's just like ev- she finds a way to make every line delivery interesting and, and yeah. either quirky, but in a genuine way or heartfelt yeah. or sassy. There's just such a gambit of emotions and tonalities that she hits. And she's so good in both the real world and the Oasis. I mean, she upstages yeah. everyone, specifically Parzival, which is like you're supposed to be anchored in Parzival. It's like it's like where's my Artemis spinoff? Like I want to go hang out with her. Here's here's the thing though. If anybody's getting nominated for an Oscar for this movie, it's Mark Rylance, and rightfully so because he also knocked it out of the. I wasn't insinuating that anyone should get nominated. I'm just trying to say, like, these performances, I can glow about these performances, but that most people will dismiss and say, oh, it's just a blockbuster, you know, it's a cutesy, fun, energetic performance. I'm like, no. Like, the amount of talent and repertoire of experience and and ability to be able to deliver a performance like this in both live action and motion capture. That's hard. And in another accent. And with all these kinds of inflections. Like, it, it it gave her a bit more depth. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, she would yeah, stand yeah. up for herself at times, and and it wasn't so much that like manic manic pixie dream girl type situation, which it could have very easily fallen to kind of a sexist slant. Oh, it could have very easily fallen into that, yeah, but it didn't. It was it was very refreshing. So in, in one sense, it's like while they mishandled the romance, you know, I should want to root for Parzival and Artemis to become a couple because I I like their story. But for me, it's like I, I was – you want Parzival to, to uh, get the girl because she's so cool. Because Olivia <laughs> – it's not because of the writing. It's just because Olivia Cook breathed in so much life and humanity to that character. It's like because Parzival is your protagonist, it's like all of us want to end up with her. So in that case, we live vicariously uh, through Parzival. So – as from your perspective, as somebody who really loved the book and saw the movie multiple times, what would be what would be your five star rating? What would be your five star rating for this? Movie? What would be my five star rating for Ready Player One? Yes. Well, <laughs> it, 
just funny because the last it's the same result as the last time you did it. Last time you asked me that same question for Kings of Summer, and I said four out of five. And again for Ready Player One, I'm going to say four out of five for the movie, just to be clear. Yeah, just for the movie. I'm I'm I, I would say four out of five too. I mean, like this is a movie that I I'm just willing to overlook a lot of issues with it, like. Like, like the fact that the romance never gets developed, like the fact that they totally messed up the Iron Giant. And that was I, I saw that as a big problem, because it's like if you've seen the Iron Giant, you would know that that's you've missed the whole point. So it's like that that felt that felt unrealistic to me. But like I it's a it's the kind of movie where I can overlook a lot of those issues because because of the craftsmanship involved like this is yeah, just yeah an, it's an intensely well-crafted movie and it's like a really in my opinion a really clever take on this particular story um and 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 is just really indicative of spielberg's strengths as a filmmaker so it's like it's the kind of it's the kind of movie where it's like the objective filmmaker in me wants to go like eh, it was like a two and a half three-star movie and and the the jackson in me wants to go like no it's like a five-star movie <laughs> I loved it. So it's like, I'm going to compromise somewhere around the middle of that and say like, yeah, four out of five, I think is pretty fair, but I, I still really, really liked it. And I, I would definitely recommend it. So next week we will be discussing a movie called Saturday Night Fever, which probably needs no introduction for anybody who's listening to this podcast over the age of 40. Um, <laughs> I discovered this a couple years ago. I knew it was considered a, quote, classic to some extent, and I felt like I needed to watch it. Um, I, I came away – I haven't revisited it since I watched it the first time, but I came away thinking it was one of the best movies I'd seen and was just a bit incredibly misunderstood, and it meant a lot to me. And But you haven't actually seen the movie yet, have you? I, I have not seen it. Um, I've seen the Saturday Night Fever sequence in Ready Player One. Ha-ha. <laughs> But I have not seen the actual movie. It's going to be exciting. I mean, most movies we've done on this podcast have at least been released in the last decade. Yeah. But this is something that that was released before either of us were even close to being conceived. <laughs> um, so um, and it's also got some of a personal connection to us, which we will sure, yeah. save for uh, next podcast. But I'm definitely excited to watch it. I, I think it's going to be really good. So join us next time. Be sure to check out some of our other content on the channel. We're going to be dropping a new short film super soon. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, until next time, I'm Jackson. And I'm Adam. 